Grand Rude Comedy Rascast Talking about important stuff and hopefully making you laugh. And if you don't laugh, well, at least you learned about something important. And if you don't care about that, well, that's on you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Grasscast, the official podcast of Grassroots Comedy. Grassroots Comedy is a nonprofit based in Washington, D.C. We use comedy to educate and engage on causes in a time of need. Today's episode of the Grasscast is an awesome one. And I'm not just saying that because I say that every single time. I really mean it this time. Like I also mean it, the other, they're all great. But this one is especially great. We are going to be interviewing, in fact, we have interviewed two members of SAG-AFTRA who have been very involved with the strike. Join with me is my amazing co-host, Laura Francisi. Hello. Yeah, I think it's the best episode we've done to yeah. date. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. Bold statement, but, you know, we're being bold. Uh, I, I don't want to be an italic. I want to be bold. Laura, for you, what was it that made this interview so awesome? I think it's so topical, right? So we interviewed SAG-AFTRA. They're on strike. Um, WGA just... They were on strike at the same time. They came to a resolution. I think there's so much that even I didn't know about, even as someone who reads the news. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just really informative. And who doesn't love a thespian? These two fellas, Keith and Elliot, who we'll learn more about momentarily when we play the interview, Um they're both thespians and both very uh, active in the sag after strike and just both, yeah, very interesting and insightful people. Uh, so easy to like. I enjoyed how they were willing to go silly with us. They, they, did. they had no reservations. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll hear in the interview, our dear listeners, that, you know, the first big... Spoiler chunk, alert. Spoiler alert. I'm going to spoil this, but... I would say it's not completely spoiled. It's more like when you're getting to the end of like to the expiration date of a product that you really want to consume. You've been looking at Mm. it in your refrigerator for a while. You know, it's going to be delicious. It hasn't gone yet, but you should like, you know, right. Maybe just hurry up and get to it. Um, I don't think that's a perfect analogy, but anyway, this isn't going to spoil it. You should still listen to this entire podcast episode, but at the end, we do a, a, a silly little sketch, which is awesome also, um, mm-hmm. which was written by Laura. So, of course, it's hilarious. Oh, my god! Usually, usually with these sketches, our guests are like they can be a little reserved. They can be mm-hmm. like, oh, my goodness, I have to act now. I have to like be funny now. I don't know how to do yep. that. I'm kind of put on the spot. I'm used to just speaking about boring, serious things. But these guys, they just like leaned into it. And they, did. Uh, they had no obligation to take on uh, like funny voices. Like we assigned them basically like stray man characters. Mm-hmm. And they just like came up with these voices 
and leaned into it. And I didn't, I didn't even know what impressions they were doing. There's, and frankly, no explanation of that in this yeah. podcast. Um, so it's up to the listener to determine what impression they were doing. But anyway, I mean, they're they're fun and informative. Um, full pack. Definitely. I think what I took away from you saying just now, Chris, is listen to this whole podcast yeah. and eat the cheesecake in the back of your fridge before yeah. it expires. Yeah, like eat it right now. Right? It doesn't matter if it's morning. No, cheesecake for breakfast. It has milk. It has eggs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's got all the key components. What we're saying is this podcast has milk and eggs in it. And uh, it's good. It's good for you. Yes. It'll give you the fuel you need to get through the day or to end. Remember those books, Chicken Soup for the Teenage Soul? We (laughs) are cheesecake for your local grassroots efforts. That's exactly. Ooh, I think I think you may have just given us a new tagline. For 2024. I mean, you just have to start giving out cheesecake at all of your events. Oh, boy. That's going to be a tough bar to maintain. Um, But I like it conceptually. I love that. I love cheesecake. So let's eat some cheesecake and listen to this interview. Listen to some cheesecake. Yeah. Dig in with your ears. Here we go. Heath and Elliot, welcome to the Grasscast. It is so awesome to have you guys here. Pleasure to be here. Thrilled uh, and excited. Awesome. We can I tell. Guess. We can we, tell. Yeah. Yeah. You all can't see this, listeners, but they they are so excited. Um, uh, or are they? Yeah. The actors? I don't know. Um, we'll find excited out. Excited falls somewhere between really happy and ready to fight. So okay. it's between those two. I want to dig deeper into the emotional spectrum that you are living okay. in right now. But before we get into that... Uh, maybe we can just start with some high-level stuff. Keith yeah. and Elliot, who are you and what do you do? Elliot, take it away. Oh, we're going to do the age before beauty thing. Okay, got uh, it. <laughs> um, so my name is Elliot Bales. Uh, I'm a member of SAG after I'm a retired U.S. Army officer. Hence, what your, your visitors can't see or listeners can't see is all the memorabilia in the back. Behind. Impressive. Um, I spent 26 years in the Army, uh, undergraduate degree in theater, paid for with an Army ROTC scholarship. I was going to go back to the theater 26 years later. That's what I did. And then I've gradually moved into film and the, the film and television work. And uh, so that's what I'm here. Um, two quick caveats that I think are important. Um, everything that I say, and I think Keith will affirm this, is our own opinions. It's not representative of the union's formal position, even though we are both serving as leaders in the local uh, and the second thing is thank you guys for the show at um, uh, at, uh, at Bus Boys and Poets a few weeks ago, supporting uh, the SAG After Foundation. I was there, got interviewed by a French um, reporter, which was a new experience for me. So thanks for that. Okay, Keith, your turn. I am. Uh, I, I'm Keith Flippin. This is my best hair piece. Since this is audio, I can say that. I'm not really wearing one. Uh, but... Uh, I've been a a film television voiceover actor for 35 years, a member of Screen Actors Guild since 1997. Uh, It has been my primary source of revenue, uh, of income for the majority of that time. I'm also uh, an executive speech and presentation coach and acting teacher in Virginia. Well, thanks again, guys, for being here. Um, really, uh, really excited to have two uh, representatives uh, from SEGAFTRA and also from the Mid-Atlantic uh, to represent today. With that, another high-level question. What is SEGAFTRA and uh, what do you all do? 
It's a lot of letters. It's a lot of letters. Honestly, so DC, is, which is where I live, um, it's a land of acronyms. And uh, I have to say, SAG hyphen after it, like you literally have a hyphen embedded within the acronym. There's a lot there. So uh, what's that all about? I'll point out that one of those letters is used twice. So it's not really as many letters as you think. Uh, oh, three, three times. S-A-D-A-F-D. You're right. Three. I can't even count. Uh, but sag after the reason for the hyphen is we used to be two unions, Screen Actors Guild and the American Federation of Television and Radio Actors. Uh, and we merged in 2014. Uh, we are a coalition of, help me fit with this, Elliot. We're at, we're actors, background, broadcasters, stunt people, singers, pilots, dancers, puppeteers. Puppeteers, yes. And broadcast news and broadcast entertainment, two different categories. So it's a lot of 161,000 members across the country. So if your work appears on uh, on microphone or on camera, the odds are very good that you uh, are represented by what we do. Awesome. So the puppeteers are in SAG-AFTRA. What about the actual puppets? Could you get a puppet in? I I had that same question today. I fired off uh, an email to Kermit the Frog to ask if he was actually in SAG-AFTRA. I know that the hand up his ass is, but I'm not Mm -hmm. sure he Ah. is himself. Mm. I believe the response, official response is, yay! (laughs) I believe that's the same relationship with Lauren Michaels and Pete Davidson. (laughs) Sounds about right. Sounds about right. No comment. Funny you bring up Kermit. We'll be uh, revisiting. He's here. We have him. Later in the interview. Yeah. Um, Under under duress or is it just like a willing uh, attendance? Is it? uh, Is he? uh, Oh, he's 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 totally fine. He's totally fine. Uh, No, he's he's cool. He's here um, because he wants to be. Um, So. What is the difference between WGA and SAG after? And I'm as you are listening to these questions, you might be understanding that you know we're starting very high level we want to make sure that listeners of all levels of awareness of of the current events are able to to be looped in and understand what's going on so maybe i think it's especially i think it's especially interesting because sagaftra and wga were both on strike at the same time so there's a lot of interest in in why and also um what the difference is between the two unions and also one has reached an agreement and one hasn't yet, I believe. So I think that's also important. I think the biggest difference is that we could kick their butt in a fight because um, right. <laughs> we have a lot more than they do. And what makes it unique is that we did, for the first time since 1960, come together uh, and strike at the same time. And they showed tremendous resolve. There are 11,000 members. Uh, we're on strike for six months, uh, three months longer than we have been. Um, and uh, they really, I think, created the the structure of the conversation around what their pieces were and specifically the key issues about pay disparity and uh and job protection and um and uh and ai so that was a big a big part of that kind of kick we were going down the same path but they they write they write jokes uh mm-hmm. all of the writers on uh, your various comedy shows that you all probably aspire to mm-hmm. be someday uh, if you um can figure out uh, how to get Chat GPT to write as well as 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 they do, mm-hmm. uh, and then you could move up and and be famous too. But that's the uh, writers write screenplays for films. They write television. Um, they write uh, web series. They are 
uh, soap operas, uh, a very broad category of different writers. And we are very bad at using words of our own, and we need them desperately to put those words in our mouths. So uh, we, it's a, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship. This, this, this thing. The, the best shows are the ones where the writers are on set with us, mm-hmm. watching what we do, and they take a character that they created and conceived of, and take what we're doing, and they incorporate those together so that the next episode your character appears in, there's a closer sense of this sort of singularity between you and the character. It's a delicious process, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and it's and we're very glad that they got a great deal because it lays the groundwork for ours. Sure, uh, you can use that as a foundation to build on. With that, just a quick follow up question: did it, did it just strike you as incredibly obvious once WGA went on strike that SAG-AFTRA would follow, given that symbiotic relationship? Like, oh, this is our brother, this is our sister, you know, this is our family, uh, and we're going to f- go where they go. I would. I would say yes, but also because there there are a number of issues that have long needed addressing uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to our earning structures. And, uh, you know, they took the leap first because their agreement ended first. Yeah. Uh, so when we watched them do it, uh, you know, and they started expressing, you know, articulating their specific concerns, we said, yeah, yeah, we have this in common. And it was nice to stand side by side with them and share the same, you know, words. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, the writers were particularly um, pointed and funny about mm. the way they framed their arguments. And I and I worry a little bit that now that we're sort of on our, we're not on our own because they're still showing up at our picket lines now. Mm-hmm. But but now that we are articulating our own fight, that, that their voice being absent, um, you know, that we might just be a little more dull than we might have been otherwise with them there. Um, Definitely less funny. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, you know, voices like me that are, you know, slow, four-headed Neanderthal. I'm going to say things very blunt and straightforward. So I'm not as funny as without writers. So Gotcha. The writers, the writers uh, picket signs were all like, that was a highlight. Not that they, it was in a highlight that they were on strike, but it was a highlight to see what they would come up with. Mm -hmm. I, I find myself saying, I wish I had thought of that, but that's why I'm not a writer. That's what makes a writer good. Yeah, they they make you do that. Um, and I think that's why SAG-AFTRA picket signs are black, a field of black with white letters, is because they just don't trust us to write anything. anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think the other thing about about the diff- the two different unions yeah. and is is this enormous change in the perception and understanding that thankfully the internet has brought to us about how much. The disparity is between the wealthiest Americans who lead corporations and what they demand from us as workers and how much they're unwilling to support. I, I don't know if they all have golden toilets, but um, I, I I feel <laughs> like they probably do. Their yeah. toilet paper is certainly less abrasive than mine. I'm just going to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's at least three ply. Exactly. Yeah, I can. I, at least. Yeah. At least. No, they have bidets of... Champagne. Oh, champagne. champagne bidets. <laughs> the mm. bubbles, though. They tickle. With, uh, with servants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Nice. But, but, it, but it is true. You know, um, you know, there's long been this conversation about, you know, who do corporations serve? And when the focus is on shareholders instead of stakeholders, the people that, that yeah. work for them and the customers, it, 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 there is an imbalance. And our work right now, I think, is is standing next to the work of every other labor organization that's standing up and saying, no, these are misplaced priorities. 
So if I'm hearing this correctly, this strike has nothing to do with the 1% millionaire actors in Hollywood. Uh, it is about labor rights. Is that right? From those who are not as well compensated, not as well represented. Um, can you all speak a little bit more to, to that and the, some of the uh, specific asks slash demands of the strike in that regard? You wrote up a beautiful list, Elliot. It was um, it's gold. Take it away. So I, I would start with the fact that it, it, with this numbers that came out today, inflation over the last three years is 16 percent. Um, yeah, 16 percent uh, expected at the end of three years, which means that under the current contract, we're making less money than we made in 2020. Um, the proposal that they put on the table would have us making the same amount three years from now that we were making in 2020. Uh, as inflation, uh, not adjusted for inflation. So, um, can I ask real quick? Isn't that inflation your fault, though, as the employee? A huge. The oh, don't get. Oh, here we go. There goes the funny right out the. We just sucked the funny right out of the room. Hilarious. You know, I, I sat and listened uh, this week to, as the jobs numbers came out, um, to every talking head on a on a on Bloomberg and CNBC and all the Fox Business and all that stuff. Um, I listened to politicians. I listened to economists say the reason that inflation is up and what we have to do is because more people are employed and more people are making more money. Yeah. Not the fact that CEOs make the decision to raise the prices on things. I watched an interview with Ted Sarandos today on Bloomberg. First one he's given to Bloomberg because now he's in trouble. Um, where he said, you know what? We're not charging enough for our product. We think we deliver more value, and we're gonna. We should charge more. That means he's not. He's not just against us. He's against you. He's against every person in this country that tries to engage in the process of being entertained, stay up on the news, and be and 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 keep up with the stories and that they enjoy or or get something. Out. My take is interesting. I think that, and I don't think SAG-AFTRA has a take on this, but I believe COVID. And the world sort of stopping had a really big effect for us to just actually stop, right? Like you're not sore until you stop running, right? Great analogy. I think like the world stopping made us look and be like, wait, hold, hold, why are we, why do people have to work um, more than one minimum wage job in order to afford housing, right? Like, if corporate decisions are driving inflation, like, can they pull over? Can we yeah. take the wheel for a little bit? Yeah, that's a great point. And also, if I'm putting my life on the line for your profit earning, for your earnings, mm -hmm. then why am I not compensated, you know, appropriately for that risk? Which is the other lesson I think the that uh, the pandemic taught us was that you you call us essential, you call people essential workers. But you sure don't treat them like they, that, you know, when, when push comes to shove. Because I, I was listening, I don't know if Elliot had pointed out, there was, I was listening to a, um, a uh, um, ah, it's one of the NPR shows, and they were talking about earnings, you know, and meetings during the pandemic. And the one thing that shareholders in the, the uh, stockholder meetings were saying was like, in the middle of the pandemic, we were giving out bonus pay for this risky, you know, come on into the job, you're essential workers. They kept asking, when can we stop? When can we stop paying them? When can we stop with all of this? Because it's just costing us more. It's, it's killing our bottom line. And end of the day, 
people like us who love what we do, because let's just face it, actors don't become actors to become rich. We don't. You know, there's not a whole lot of money in it. You know, what is it? 84% of us, 86% of us don't earn the $26,000 in a year that it takes to qualify for health insurance through our union. We do it because we love what we do, but it makes us exploitable. And you think of it, teachers, my dad was a pilot. It was the same thing. Any of us that love what we do, they know they can, they can say, well, you want to keep doing it. Just suffer through. You're, and you're talking to two comedians who have worked the open mic circuit for there you uh, go. longer than you'd probably care to admit. Um, yeah, they're starving artists. They aren't starving yeah. bankers. Exactly. Yeah, precisely. It seems like a weird time to, I mean, COVID uh, just seems to be a time when it, everyone was streaming also like that. I, I don't know what the numbers were and wh- how, what the increase was in revenue during that time. But I mean... Uh, what else were people doing at home, right? Like, I, I can't imagine how they did it with the Spanish flu. Uh, the, the Netflix CEO today said, services. we're going to make $6 billion in profit this year. Right. We can't afford to pay actors more money. Yeah. Uh, and we have to raise prices for you, the consumer. It, it, we're, we're, we're completely out of whack. Um, I, I'm concerned. My greatest concern is that I don't think those CEOs are actually human. I think they are robots. I think they are AI. Mm, um, and, that's and I think the that, AI that, that there's just a series of charts that go uh, because the answers are the same. The answers are out of both sides of their mouths. Um, it, it, you listen to them talk and it sounds like a really bad spreadsheet being read by a computer generated voice. Um, and that's tough. And, 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 and while that's a little bit of a joke, profit making is an algorithm. It's a formula. And the things that you can cut, like labor costs, like quality of product, those are those are the kind of cold decisions that a non-human makes. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the people that are the heads of these companies right now are not media executives. They're CEOs of multifaceted corporations of whom or of which media is a component. It just says they treat us like any other asset in the corporation. We're property. And uh, that's not the way we see it. But I think the most interesting experiment was somebody wrote, who could put in a chat GPT, who could, who could AI do a better job of, a corporate CEO or an actor? Mm. And chat GPT said corporate CEO, because they don't really do anything. They just, they, we spew stuff out. The AI can do everything that they do and it, it, it could be automated and you don't have to have that person. Um, actors are essentially human. They're the, they engage in a human enterprise um, in storytelling that cannot be replicated mm-hmm. by AI because it's not human. And I, and I think this is at the core of the AI debate. You know, there's a, there's a lot of focus right now with the AI debate on our image and our likeness. Um, and there are two things that make us us. One is the way we look. And if you spend any time in Los Angeles and you go to an audition for a commercial, you walk in the room and you go, shit, there's 20 people here who look like me and two of them could fool my mother. It's that bad. We're not so unique when it comes to our appearance. But the thing that does make us unique is our behavior. And AI is a simulation of human behavior. And to do that, it must be trained. It can record us and a script provides a guideline. When somebody is surprised, 
here's a behavior, and we give them take after take after take after take. They can separate what our eyes do when we're surprised from what our mouth does when it's surprised. They could create a chimera actor with with Zoe Deschanel's eyebrows and Kevin Costner's lips and whatever you want. And suddenly, by the time they're using our behavior in a simulation, we won't be able to identify it as us. It will have been extracted as data and redeployed. That's where the real risk is. Our The value of our performance is in us, our choices. Our appearance is the package. And it's um, it's one of the things that we're fighting for. Uh, it's uh, And the writers got a really good deal when their deal said, you may not use anything we write to train an AI. And part mm-hmm. of our agreement needs to be, you can use none of our performances to train an AI. That That's a deal breaker for me. If that's not in the contract, I'll vote against it. The thing that we're fighting for is not just for us. It's for every human being who has a video up on YouTube or uh, a video of their cat or pictures of their kids um, that are going to be exploited and taken Mm -hmm. and reused somewhere along the line. And now a comedy clip from the Grassroots Comedy Fundraiser with SAG-AFTRA with comedian Tim Miller. There's no, like, summer blockbuster. Back when I was growing up, there used to be a movie that everybody could go see, and then it was just enjoying enjoyment for everyone. Now, movies are very like, this audience can see it, this audience, this audience, and that's, you know. But because there's no summer blockbuster, now they said, all right, well, let's just make the news crazy. <laughs> now the news is insane. They said, we ain't got no summer blockbuster, but let's tell them about them aliens they've been asking about. And they told us about the aliens, and we were all like, yeah, so, we, yeah. Yeah, there's aliens, we know. We've asked you, and you said no, but we knew you were lying, so. I'm just curious about what compensation, compensation today is like compared to, say, 35 years ago when you started, for example, Keith. And this is totally a question I came up with on my own and um, it wasn't emailed by you before this interview. Well, you know, it used to be when we would do a network television show, prime time, and, you know, we would get paid what was our session fee for the, for our days of work on the show. Mm-hmm. And when it would rerun prime time, we would get all of that money over again. And then from there, where would it go? It would go into syndication. It would go into DVD sales. It would go into other physical media like like VHS tapes. And every time it changed media, we would get a bump. We would get a little piece of that. Now what happens instead is a network will show a show pre-time, prime time. But rather than go into a rerun, it just goes to its streaming platform where those earnings are about a third less. And then from there, it goes to another streaming platform. And and so everything in streaming gives us lower returns by about a third, by two thirds actually lower than we were getting in our primetime reruns. And that's the money that kept us eating. It kept our, kept our bills paid. So now my earnings for the same amount of work a year are about a third of where they were 20 years ago. You know, and it's um, actors don't work much. Yeah, we, you know, we work a handful of days a year. I can I can look at the last several years and look at my paychecks. And last uh, two years ago, a really busy year, twenty twenty one. I worked the entire year and earned my living off of about sixteen days of work. Oh, I'm so jealous. Well, yeah. Except the rest of the time is panic time, right? Because it's like we don't yeah. know what's coming next. Right. 
Right. And we're furiously auditioning, hoping something else will land. That that right. uncertainty is the thing that residuals fills the space of. Mm-hmm. So what does it look like to responsibly adapt with your workers in mind as these new technologies are developed? Great question. Um, there must be accountability for the success that our work provides a streamer. And that means the number of subscribers they have going up. That means when you have a whole bunch of people watching a hit show, they're waiting, chomping at the bit, waiting for it to come out. And a whole the majority of the viewers watch that show in the first 60, 90 days as the WGA got, that we receive compensation for the success of that and the success that it confers upon the streamer. I think that is a reasonable expectation. But for years, the streamers have claimed, well, there's no way we could possibly know how many people are watching this. We can't track those numbers. And it's absurd to say that. And now they've revealed, yeah, they can, but they will only share it right now with the WGA uh, confidentially, and it can only be released to the membership as information aggregated. So they're still playing games with transparency. So transparency is key and compensation for success is key to keeping actors eating. And that transparency is the same for investors. They have hidden those numbers from investors. They're, you know, they've made numbers. For example, Amazon and Apple, uh, it's not their Prime Apple Plus and and um, and Prime Video are not their core business pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- they're actually long form advertisements for everything else that they sell. Yeah. Come watch your stuff here. Pay a little bit, or or we'll include it in your Prime subscription. Um, but that's so it's totally transparent about how much they make or 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 lose in that to to the investment community. And so mm-hmm. when they choose to raise prices or they choose to say we've got to do this, there's no way to to validate or make a decision as a consumer as well as a as a worker. So he's exactly right that the transparency issue is a government issue. It's a national issue. It's an investment investor issue. Uh, it's a consumer issue. And it certainly is a worker issue. Especially in the face of media consolidation, mm-hmm. where they own more and, and greater and greater shares of the media ecosystem. Um, absolutely. That transparency is key. Gotcha. All right. Well, very well noted. Uh, it is clear that you all are, in fact, actively engaged in the strike, given uh, how clear you are with these points. Um, very, very great communicators. Thank you for all this. I think it's about time in the grass cast for this episode to transition into something a little different. Yowza! Uh, so we're going we're gonna to transition away from our interview segment. I bet you didn't even know that we were in a segment, but we Huge. were. And now we're going to go into our different segment uh, for the day, which is going to be a new segment, which I will allow Laura, not that I need to allow her to do anything. She does what she wants. Uh, Laura, why don't you, why don't you introduce? Yeah, I'll talk. I'll talk now. Yeah. So are you familiar with the show, The Voice? Yes. So we know that uh, Fran Drescher is the voice of SAG-AFTRA. And so what we here at the GrassCast decided to do was presuppose what if she had to, instead of being voted in as the voice, um, go head to head against other celebrities to be the voice of SAG-AFTRA. So 
we have Fran Drescher, Kristen Wiig, and Kermit the Frog going up for you two, our panelists and judges, who will then decide who is the voice of SAG-AFTRA. All right. So welcome to SAG-AFTRA's The Voice, where we decide who will be the voice of SAG-AFTRA. Our first contestant, and for your consideration, is Kristen Wiig. Oh, hi. Thank you. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. I was just thinking like SAG after like maybe you could just get a belt and pull up your pants and you know, the after should be before maybe to make it a little more, I don't know, secret life of Walter Mitty. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Kristen, um, for Thanks, your, Kristen. for your voice. Um, you know, why would you want to be the voice of SAG after Well, I think that if we're going to be um, bargaining, maybe we should make the other people feel um, alarmed or disalarmed. And uh, we could do that by, (laughs) I don't know, (laughs) being quirky. All right. Thank you. Um, Next up, we have, he was mentioned earlier, he needs no introduction, Kermit the Frog. Hello, everybody. Kermit the Frog here. It is just such a pleasure to be a park of this consideration. Look, I believe that SAG-AFTRA needs to take a leap into new leadership. Now, there's a lot of talk about streaming and it being new. You know, when I was a tadpole, I was already streaming. And I I just believe that I have the experience that is needed to find a better place over the rainbow for SAG-AFTRA and for fair rights and compensation for employees. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Kermit. If you had to give a letter of the day for SAG-AFTRA, there's so many letters. What letter would you pick? Now, that's a good question. My letter of the day would be G for green, as in the green money that the employees should be compensated by. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Kermit. No problem. Um, our Our final contestant is Fran Drescher, who's appearing as a method actor as uh, the nanny. So Fran, where are you? Oh, hi, everybody. I was thinking, what if we bargained against Dr. Mr. Sheffield, right? And we just had the kids (laughs) and they were like all dressed up and we thought, why aren't we getting paid enough? You know, Mr. Sheffield, you got to just not just show up. You got to take me out on a date. Look at dressed up. sag dressed up. Those are a lot of letters. <laughs> Thank you, Fran. That was um, lovely. Judges, who do you think will give you the best voice in bargaining to be the voice of sag I'll, I'll kick it over to you, too. I have to say that I'm very questioning about who can do this the best, representing mm-hmm. all of us. Um, I know Miss Fine is a lovely lady and wears very expensive and trashy, flashy, but not trashy clothes. However, I believe that Mr. Frog is uh, representative of so many uh, of the grass roots. Notice how I got grass in the yeah, uh, story of uh, and, and would be the best representative for our union going forward. Here, here. Well, I don't like the banjo very much. I know that frog plays that banjo. So that's a no for me. 
As for that, like a banjo. That, that wig person. I I have plenty of hair, and my grandmother wore a wig, and that little styrofoam head terrorized me, sitting on top of the piano we never used. So I'm going to vote for the fresher lady, because she's fresher. Right. Um, well, we are going to uh, have a tiebreaker vote. Chris, you get to come in and, and cast okay. your vote. Well, um... I have to say, these are three very solid candidates, and this is not an easy decision. Uh, but I, I think I'm going to go with, I think I'm going to have to go with Fran, uh, mainly because, well, she is the current representative of sag after and it'd be a little awkward if uh, we chose anyone who's not her and also, you know, not, not accurate. Uh, so uh, I think... I think this might be a little bit of a rigged setup, um, but I do think that both Kermit and Kristen should run for leadership of some other entity. Maybe I don't know. I don't think WGA has any openings, but um, I don't know. Maybe the puppeteers. Maybe maybe the puppeteers could start their own thing. There you go. If so, I mean, Kermit would obviously be the definitely the for that. Yeah. Clearly. Thank you for being uh, good sports for that. I think. Yeah. My question would be, um, as a regular person, someone who's not a member, someone who watches TV and streams TV and movies, what's what can we do to get involved to help or show our support? Like, what's what's the next best thing for not SAG after members to do? Mm -hmm. um, I would say, first of all, tell your friends it's not over. There are a number of people that believe that because the writers have secured an agreement that the strike is over and it's not. And we're now standing, even though the WGA shows up at our at our picket lines, we're standing we're standing alone now uh, in a way. And we need more public support. We need more voices uh, standing at our side and 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 challenge and trumpeting our cause. We need mm -hmm. that. I would say that's a that's a that's a that's a priority. Are there are there physical strikes that people can participate in? Can they can they join if they're not members? They so show we show up and how do they we, get information on that? Absolutely. We welcome other people to join us at our strike actions. They can go to sagafterastrike.org. Okay. And they can look uh, in the local where they are. We are the Washington Mid-Atlantic local, and they can see where we are. Uh, we are either leafleting because we have no production companies here. We can pick it. We have leafleting events and solidarity events. In fact, we've got one coming up uh, in uh, in uh, Morgantown, West Virginia. We're going to be standing with mm -hmm. the UW here awesome. on uh, the 17th, I believe, right, uh, yep. Ellie? Yep. Awesome. Note that, all of our West Virginia listeners and uh other people remotely in the area uh cool we will add that to the show notes um is there anything that we should have asked but didn't i think one of the things that's interesting keith and i had this great exchange today with yeah. slightly different opinions uh, it was a closed platform for sag after members and we had very different opinions about something <clears throat> and we went back and forth but you know it was civil yeah it was it was, it was an exchange of ideas it was a dialogue to try and move things forward. And I think that's the most important thing that we bring. Uh, if you go back, I love to tell us, you know, I, I, I kind of threw you the joke about we, we are the oldest profession. And that doesn't mean that we prostitute ourselves. The oldest profession in the world is actually when two people had to figure out 
how to tell the other about something else. And they learned how to do it through narrative storytelling. They had to tell mm-hmm. where the where the 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 best place to fish was, uh, how to build a shelter that was gonna survive the wind and rain, don't eat those mushrooms, how to pick a Maryland blue crab. <clears throat> That's how we learned to communicate and share ideas. The first actor first stepped out from the chorus in a, uh, in 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 Greece and uh, Western civilization, and that created uh, and created a dialogue uh, for the first time, where the chorus was used to be a diatribe, where they just yelled at people, and then Thespis stepped out and it became a chorus. Fifty years later, democracy was born. The first city state created democracy. So storytelling and actors and uh, and politics and, and participatory government and the citizens being in the middle of that engaged in dialogue is the heritage that we preserve and keep going. Uh, and, and without that, then all you have are jokes mm-hmm. like the Congress of the United States is right now. Um, so that's, that's what we're left with if we don't learn how to have dialogue. And I think it's also important to, understand that actors are not Hollywood in New York, that we are members across the country in a number of different what we call mids and smalls locals, mid and small locals. Uh, There are production hubs in Atlanta and New Orleans and Albuquerque, New Mexico and Chicago. And we are all of us earnestly trying to do this thing that we were trained to do. And that is to get a script and figure out the human puzzle, that Mm. actors are people that thrive in an, in a, in a state of exploration of the human condition mm-hmm. and that there is great truth to be derived from the work that we do. Um, and I think it's too easy for a lot of people to sort of dim- dismiss what we do as attention seeking. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an earnest artistic purpose and there is serious training behind that purpose that most mm-hmm. of us have undergone. All right. I would also follow up uh, uh, with Laura's question. What you can do is watch movies and watch TV. Oh, done. Um, oh, I'm already so supportive. That's the work that we do. And as Keith pointed out, that's where uh, part of the compensation structure that we've negotiated over the years is that downstream revenue that uh, actors make when you watch, go to the movies and watch a show. Um, we've never called for a boycott. Um, we'll see if that happens. I hope mm-hmm. not. But in the meantime, uh, that's the best thing you can do is go enjoy the work that our members do and learn to appreciate and understand how hard it is to do that. Uh, hear that, everybody. Best thing you can do, turn off this podcast, okay. turn on some Netflix uh, and uh, yeah, binge away. But also, also follow up with SAG after online. Again, we'll uh, put the information in the show notes. Find your nearest strike, figure out how you can donate and other ways to support SAGFoundation.org is uh, our charitable organization that helps actors that are struggling right now in the strike. And also the uh, the Entertainers Community, Entertainers Community Fund. Those are two legitimate uh, organizations that help uh, performers uh, get through in times of economic hardship. Perfect. Seth Rudetsky does so a lot of work with that. Yeah, he does love Seth Rudetsky. <laughs> okay, thank you so much notes. for being here. Thank you all so much. Elliot and Keith can't thank you guys enough seriously um this is great this is our best show yet hands down it's definitely easily your best show yet it's inspired me to join a union myself um thank you guys i and yeah i think i think that's it super take care thank you for having us of course of course 
And now a comedy clip from the Grassroots Comedy Fundraiser with SAG-AFTRA with comedian Reese Waters. You got any uh, any uh, Get Up DC open mic fans? Yeah, that's why we got canceled. There you go. That makes perfect sense. That's why we got canceled. That's perfect. The world makes sense right now. Yeah, I was on the strike streets early. Been out of work. <laughs> they came to me like, hey, Reese, you want to join the strike? No, no, no. Do you want to join the strike? I've been on strike. I don't know where y'all been. Shoot. Got to get ahead of that. I was ahead of the pandemic. I've been blaming show turnout on the pandemic since 2015. So, Elliot, Keith, good to see you both again. Thanks for coming back and joining us. There have been some updates since we last spoke many weeks ago. And uh, we would like to hear from you what those updates are regarding the SAG after strike, the resolution uh, it has, is this is this an, an end all solution? Are all problems gone away? Is everyone happy across the board? Was it all worth it? Uh, what do you think? What are your thoughts? Well, I have lost seven pounds, and no, it is not the end all and be all. I still have some goals <laughs> to pursue, but I guess that's not what we're talking about. You said some things had been had changed, and that's how I, you know, that's where my focus is. That's fair. That's fair. You know, there were no ululations, let's say, you know, at the drop of the of the tentative uh, agreement, um, because it's a difficult read. You know, we got we got a summary and um, and for the first time since the merger, at least certainly and sometime before that, they are going to release the full memorandum of agreement. Uh, for us to examine, because we know the devil's in the details. Um, you know, there were a lot of things that we wanted that we got, but, but when you've got to motivate people, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to you got to get them to to invest in something that, as long as a, a, a labor action that lasts 120 days, roughly. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you have two sides of the of the argument you're making. You have the intellectual sort of rational side where you say, "Hey, here are the things we need. We need to accomplish this goal, this goal, this goal." But to get people to turn out continuously on a on a, on a picket line, or at at labor actions wherever they may be, or just to not get worn out, you got to sell them an emotional argument. And the thing that I think is happening, I don't know if anybody anybody ever like cry on Christmas morning because like you built up all that anticipation and then you get there and it's like you're sitting there amongst whatever pile of gifts you've got and you just go <laughs> and you don't know where it's coming from. I think there's an emotional response right now within the guild to so much. Uh, delay and uh, so much, you know, fighting and, and 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 just digging in our heels and saying, no, we need this now. Uh, that that now that we're on this side, we see the language and we go, can we trust it? Because we know that our we we we've said repeatedly over the course of this uh, this strike that the AMPTP can't be trusted because they do tend to take advantage. So mm -hmm. we're really scrutinizing the language because we want to make sure that what it, what it appears that we have, we actually have, and that what is there sets us up for the future. And I think that's 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 the sort of rationalization everybody that's looking at the agreement right now is trying to figure out. You know, are there gotchas in here that that, you know, perhaps 
not entirely honest producers might take advantage of? Mm-hmm. Or are we covered with what AI, for instance, can do right now versus what mm-hmm. it can't and might be able to do in five or 10 years when we can renegotiate? So lots of good stuff in the agreement. What, what's your favorite thing, Elliot, or things? I, I think the, there were two things that, that stuck out to me. There were four basic things we talked about as, you know, pay and and fixing the residual or addressing the changes in residuals and getting the health insurance uh, payments from employers made and dealing with starting to deal with the AI issue, which will take many, many iterations of this contract. The two things that I thought would we walked in here that we wanted the most was, first of all, to emphasize this contract on the those performers, which make up the bulk of our rank and file members who have been the most left behind in the last three negotiations. So those who don't qualify uh, for health insurance because we ha- haven't had the contributions because they don't get paid enough. Uh, and that was the thing we said all along. This isn't about Hollywood. This isn't about the millionaires. This is about that rank and file person who gets up, packs their lunchbox and goes to work. And I think it did that. Uh, I think the second thing was we wanted to break the pattern of negotiation that the AMPTP had set us up through. Uh, and as as so many uh, corporations have done over the years, um, have focused on trying to drive wedges between the union uh, and and disrupt our ability to stay on message. Uh, and I think up until we we started having the conversation internally about whether we wanted or not, um, we stayed that way throughout throughout the strike. So I think those two things were you know, we didn't settle for the same old deal. We didn't take the same old language, and we tackled a bunch of new things. There's 127 pages uh, in this in this memorandum of agreement, which will become a modified uh, modified the basic agreement, uh, which is 1,300 pages long. Once we add this in, so it's a long legal document. I once yeah, asked you know, for that basic agreement. I said, "Hey, yeah. do we have a copy?" And he said, "Yeah, sure." And he put down this book. It was like, "Wham!" Yeah. And it's that thick. It's it's wow. just it's something. It really is. And I, and I think that's the piece that is most disturbing to to folks is that that they just don't there's not enough trust and not enough knowledge. Yes, I think it's exciting that we actually have people who want to read a legal contract. Now I've done that for decades. I've negotiated contracts both sides of the table. I've I've been an employer. I've dealt with union negotiations. Um, I've dealt with contract negotiations. There, there's it's like it's like going to the factory and watching baloney being made. You will never eat bologna again if you go watch it being made. Um, but so when you start reading this, you're going to go, I don't even know what that means. Uh, but you, you have, have you have real lawyers looking at it, not just actors who play lawyers on TV. <laughs> um, well, from a contractual standpoint, yes. From some of the people who are making comments, both positive and negative about this, yeah, it is people who play them on TV, and yeah. maybe not. And we didn't have the writers the last the last few weeks, as Keith kept pointing out. So we didn't necessarily have the good best lines. Yeah. Going but what we we are seeing a lot of people look at the language and and make these sort of declarations of whether people should or should not vote against the agreement without the insight of the legal language. You know what what is legal language and standard in in these kinds of agreements? People are interpreting as giveaways by our negotiating committee and they're not this is just things like you know reasonable when we uh, uh, the word reasonable what is a what is a reasonable description of the way your image would be used and and people see that and go well 
the, the, the producers are going to are going to just use that to be deliberately vague and they'll decide what's reasonable. And no, it's not the way it works. Right. In the law, reasonable is would anybody objectively looking at this in the public say that this was reasonably close? You know, there are it just exists and people, you know, people are people's tensions and emotions are high. I think gotcha. and it leads gotcha. them to make some things. But we got we got we got so much. I know I just got my first audition uh, mm. now, now that we're back. Congrats. And uh, just prior to the break, I had received uh, before we went on strike, I had a 17 page audition that I had, I had 48 hours to turn around. And I was like, and this is this was insane. It was crazy. You know, but you got 48 hours, you cram it in your head, you plop your spouse down next to the camera and you do the thing. And even though your spouse is grousing, you get it done. But 17 pages was a big ask, not only out of my day, but out of his. Um, and now we've got a cap on that. It's uh, it's uh, it's it's eight. Is it eight or six, Elliot? Eight. Eight pages. Eight Literally. pages is an easy do first pass. Once they read everybody eight pages, if they've narrowed it down and say, you know what? You think you're what we're looking for. Now do 17. I'm fine with that. But don't don't give me 17 pages to do. Watch the first 30 seconds ago. No, he's bald. Next. Don't waste my time like that. And so mm -hmm. we got that. We got we got travel. We got we, we got travel assistance for oh. members that are on um our through the SAG after foundation. And uh, through that are that are on our health plan, so that they can receive gender affirming care and reproductive care if they live in a place where they cannot access it. I think that's huge because that that's benefits awesome. people. Yes, that, every employer should offer that. Absolutely, yes. absolutely, it's amazing. You know, so much, so much good caps on. You know, for thirty years we've had a, a cap on your earnings, after which you would not, the producers would not have to make a contribution to mm -hmm. pension and health on that project. We raised that cap significantly. 30 years it's taken to do that. And now that means more money's going into the pension fund and into our, our health fund. So, I mean, some really, really good stuff. And I think when we look at the, the things we got for uh, our background performers, which yep. are everybody that plays a crowd in every show you've ever seen or people sitting in the back of the cafe or whatever, um, are an integral part of, of producing a film or a television show. And their pay goes up by 18% over the next two and a half years. That's a pretty big jump. And it was pretty much what we had. It's actually a little more than we had targeted for principal performers, which we actually got for them as well. We got 14%. So that's a pretty good jump. The, the, the amount of money that will go into the health fund, as Keith mentioned, will help reset, we hope, some of the, from the trustee's perspective, what the, what the level of money you have to make to get into and qualify for the health plan. Um, some protections for uh, for background performers as well. Um, I think was some of the things that that I was most passionate about uh, in talking with different people who felt underrepresented. Uh, special um, uh, qualified people to do hair for people with textured hair, which is significant to uh, the minority portion of of uh, of our our casts who tend to be underrepresented in the stories we tell in general, and that will help hopefully uh, to, to get them to look their best and and have better uh, better representation in our stories. The addition of Martin Luther King Jr. Day and Juneteenth as federal as holidays, there's work holidays in the contract. That's Where awesome. was that, you know, a few years ago? Because that's yeah. not, it's not like that holiday came, Juneteenth was recent, but 
Yeah, well, right. KD's been around for a while. Yeah, that's uh, so. Just some of those focus things, um, and as Keith talked about, the the AI piece uh, is question. You know, there's questions about that. There's questions about what we got in the residual piece, and everybody ought to be asking those questions. And we certainly ought to be posturing for the next thing. This is not just about this contract. This is about setting the conditions for the next negotiation. It's also about setting ourselves up for successful litigation because everything in this contract will be litigated. Welcome to America and our litigious society. And it also forms the baseline. It's the first con labor contract in the country that protects an individual's voice and likeness in any shape or form um, at all. And it forms the basis for the next conversation. I mean, the next big contract we go up with, we're already in negotiation for video games. And the Netcode contract, which is Saturday Night Live, which is all the comedy writers and, uh, and performers that are on, on those shows, that's next year. And so helping to set the conditions that we can get more gains in that contract uh, will hopefully have us all laughing all the way to the bank. And this was so necessary because an individual uh, trademarking their likeness is a very difficult thing to achieve because you have to prove that there is a connection between your likeness and a product or a brand that you are promoting. And if you cannot prove that within a certain period of time of applying for the, the, the trademark protection on your image, you don't get it. And we have no real individual way of protecting that. These, these protections are, uh, are, are, are the foundation on which we will build what we can do for our members going forward. It's not the end of the AI fight. It's the beginning. One of the things that I, I like about what we're doing is we are having dialogue among our membership about this. That is something that is not happening in most aspects of American society. And I couldn't be more proud of our members for saying, I don't like this. All right, let's talk about it. Come to this meeting, come to this information session, ask the questions, We've opened the, these forums to have people address those things. Uh, and so instead of it being the majority of people on either side of this issue, it's really the fringes that are screaming and yelling. Yeah. People in the middle are willing to sit down. I want to understand this. Uh, so both in terms of, of a willingness to be educated about this 1,300-page contract uh, and read it, as well as uh, feel like somebody's listened to them. I think has been the best thing about this strike is that we've gone out and met people all over the Mid-Atlantic in person and uh, at, listen to their questions, listen to their concerns. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that will strengthen us as a union and can serve as a representation to everybody else uh, as they as we start as we continue the political dialogue. And in an atmosphere of reduced trust, that connection that we formed with members over the strike is essential because you may not trust somebody that is at a distance professionally or personally from you, but you'll listen to your friends and to people that you've met and to people you know you've stood side by side with on a picket line or at any other strike action. That matters. Would you say that just as a, as a collective, things are in a better place now? People are communicating, like you said, in, in a way that they weren't previously? Yes. I hope so. I, the, the conversations I had have been that way. Uh, mm -hmm. They've been positive. They've been upbeat. The ones I've listened to, even people who are dissenting and don't want and want to vote no, um, have asked their questions in a respectful and thoughtful way. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that that's uh, that's that's what our future looks like. Um, and and we've just had a series of votes where 
we've, you know, 85 to 95% of, of the union has supported uh, whatever issue we we're trying to do together. And boy, where do you, where do you get that kind of vote numbers in this country today? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. And I think, right. I think where we'll see that the most is I think we're going to see more uh, participation from our membership in leadership. I think that it, it's always taken us a, a lot of effort to get people to vote in our elections or serve on our boards or committees. And I think I think we have made some new friends that are going to be standing by our side to, to move this union forward for the foreseeable future. I also right. think we've turned our the vitriol that's often been pointed inward, the 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 circular firing squad that any organization that kind of has a rift in itself. And now we get to say things like in Life is Beautiful, the great movie, um, that I don't like spiders and Visigoths. It's not that I don't like you or I don't like my fellow actors or I don't I think those people are bad or they're Republicans or they're Democrats or whatever. It's like I I I I don't like um like black licorice i do but some people don't so you know i think when we can get to that kind of or the specific issue being the thing you want to talk about as opposed to i hate you because of who you are yeah that's where we need to be both as a union as a country love it so what i'm hearing is that we need a government shutdown just kidding um but uh but strikes Sounds like there's some great things that can come out of them. And and just and so happy to hear that this has been uh, overall a success. Although uh, I guess we're still waiting to see what happens. And uh, have, everyone's all the more prepared to hold folks accountable now, right? You have a, you have a template. You have a system that's in place. Uh, so, yeah, I personally am excited to see how this continues to unravel. Uh, and it, maybe, maybe someone can work on some cliff notes to the uh, resolution that was reached. Um, I don't know if we actually have that, except the cliff notes is 18 pages long. (laughs) Okay. Yikes. That's too long. That's too long. uh, But it's, and I think the thing about it is that there are so many things to do. Pick your poison. Which one do you want to go talk about? Because every aspect of this contract has had some touch to it and some change. That's mm-hmm. pretty significant. Uh, so there's something in there for everybody. I mean, one of the things that kind of I never really thought about, but it came out as we went through the process of talking about it. If you're a singer, so we have singers and dancers are also actor performers in our in our undercovered under our union. Mm-hmm. So if you sing a song on on a film or a television series, but they also ask you to dance, you only get paid once in the previous mm-hmm. version of the contract. Wow. In this version of the contract. You get paid for both. So if you're a singer and you have to dance and perform the dance and do the choreography and learn, you get paid for all those days as mm-hmm. both things. That's, you know, for that group of people who've really kind of been marginalized and left outside, that was a huge ask and and, and a win. So mm-hmm. it's all kind of, that's why it's 18 pages long. It's that level of granularity. And uh, that summary is available to anyone. If you go to sagaftra.org, you do not have to be a member to see that summary agreement. You can go to that homepage and it's right there up front and click on the learn more and it will take you to the page where you can find that summary. Awesome. Thanks, Keith. We will put that in the show notes. Laura, do you have anything else? No, I think that's it. I'm really excited and thankful that you came in and gave us the update. 
Heath, Elliot, thank you so much once again for your time and your insight. Really appreciate it. Thanks for uh, for yeah, fighting the good fight and taking the time out of the fight to chat with us. Really appreciate it. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. That is our show, everybody. Thanks once again to Laura Francisi for co-hosting. And another special thank you to Keith Flippin and Elliot Bales from SAG After for their time patience, and yes, anding their way through this interview. Today's episode featured comedy clips from our fundraiser comedy show with SAG After in September. So thank you to comedians Tim Miller and Reese Waters for allowing us to use your jokes in this episode. As always, a special shout out to Next Chapter Podcast for producing this episode. As far as grassroots comedy updates, we have a few. We have a fundraiser comedy show for the Stand-Up Comedy Incubator with Improbable Comedy on February 7th at the Silver Spring Black Box Theater. Get your tickets while they are hot. Also, we still have our cause-tailored open mic comedy show every single Thursday at 7.30 p.m. at Bloom Bars in downtown Washington, D.C. We are still recruiting volunteers, board members, interns, partners, sponsors, etc. as Grassroots Comedy continues to expand as a nonprofit. For more on those opportunities, forthcoming programs, how to get involved, and everything else, you can go to grassrootscomedy.org or send us an email at info at grassrootscomedy.org. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review The Grasscast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. It really is important for bringing visibility to the show and helping people learn about us and the work that we do. Until next time, this has been The Grasscast. <laughs>